0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: Well, we had seen last week how Joshua, being told by the Lord that he was coming to the end of his life, and like his predecessor Moses, what did he want to do? He wanted to influence those who would remain especially that next generation that he as long as he had breath within him that he would be an example of what it means to do just that to serve the lord and that word to serve as we used in our call to worship is a word of worship in the biblical language that term lavo to serve or to worship it has both connotations to work in this world, but also to work in light of God's authority over us. To utilize everything unto the Lord. And this is truth. We are able to do whatever job that we're called to do in a way that turns it into not simply manual work, but but labor unto the Lord. When we do it in a way that that glorifies Him and that testifies that we belong to him. So look with me to this last chapter of the book of Yahushua, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. And we, God willing, are going to look at the first half, verses 1 through 15 in this time of study. It begins, and Joshua, verse 1, and Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. And notice, not only the tribes, all the people, but he did something. He called to the elders of Israel, to its heads, meaning the heads of the tribes or the families, and also to its judges and its officers. And here the term officer has to do with not a military leader, but probably one who keeps the order. That is more like a police officer today that is in the community to keep things according to the testimony of of the Lord to do things in light of his instructions. And what did this group do? We'll keep reading. They took a stance before God, and this taking a stance, it's the same word as we see in the book of Exodus. When the children of Israel were told to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So taking a stance, meaning they position themselves before God. And this term for God, Elohim, recognizes that he is judge. So when it says they took their stance before God, it implies humility. It implies trusting it implies that that they wanted to know the stability of the lord in their life that's why they came before him because they wanted his rule to govern everything that that nation had become move on to to verse two and joshua said to all the people thus said the lord the god of israel now as we've moved through this book of yahshua And not just here, but so many other places that we see the same God of Israel. And Israel is a kingdom word. And what Joshua is concerned about is instilling in the people the mindset that they are a kingdom people. Now, this goes back as well to the book of of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, where it says in that sixth verse, That the people are called to be a special people a a treasured people that god treasures them why well because they are his covenant people and that they are submissive to his covenantal instructions and they're there for a purpose to be that holy nation a kingdom of priests a holy nation joshua remembered that call He remembered those instructions, and therefore he is telling the people, the God of Israel, that he is a kingdom God and that they are called to be a kingdom people. Look now to to verse verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, and notice, on the other side of the river. Now, the river that he's speaking to in context will point this out in a moment is not the jordan river but the euphrates rivers nahar perat and this is where and we'll see in a moment where the forefathers lived and we'll be very specific verse 2 where it says on the other side of the river our forefathers dwelt and the next word meolam from a long time ago from the ancient of days and notice who he speaks about terach which is the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor. And what did this this man do, Terach? Well, it was not he who was faithful to the God of Israel. In fact, it says here that 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 they served other gods. Let's say it differently. They were involved in idolatry. Now there is a Jewish tradition. It's written down but it is not found in the scripture but the tradition says this that Terah he sold idols and Abraham grew up in that type of environment but Abraham understood something that these idols had no power whatsoever that they were were based in a lie in false promises And Terach sold them for money. It was a business. And Avraham, he was not of that same mindset. But this is the family that we're talking about. And notice it again in the verse 2. They served. That's that word I mentioned earlier. They worshipped other gods. Verse 3. And I took your fathers, Abraham from the other side of the river again the euphrates river and i led him into the land of canaan that is canaan now this is important because god's leading god is moving and one of the things we should see here very simply is god is bringing change now the tradition is this avraham did not want to participate in his father's business he felt it was corrupt he felt it was deceitful he felt it was a business that was based upon deception and a lie and according to the tradition as I said it's written down in different places that it was because of Abraham's understanding that these idols were simply wood and stone that that God moved and that because he was different notice what happens it says here that he brought him led him into the land of Canaan and what happens God multiplied his seed and gave to him Yitzchak so we see now there is that child of a promise and here's the message when we turn away from deceit what does that mean when we begin to embrace truth and how did avram do that he didn't have scripture there was no revelation to him directly but he had a conscience and it was through that conscience that he examined things and god is able to speak through the conscience of all people now i always say is it better to have the holy spirit guiding you yes it is is it better to have scripture as influence yes it is but even those who don't have scripture that have not come to faith that do not have the holy spirit guiding them through the conscience god can speak to them they can be led to agree with god fully no but to a degree and obviously as we become born again that new creation regenerated by the spirit of god we can grow in our understanding of what god's expectations are and let me just simply say this if you are a believer you are going to desire to fulfill god's expectations for your life and this is one of the things we see about the patriarchs who were faithful and of course this one who's speaking and that is joshua look again he says i multiplied your seed and i gave to him meaning to abraham i gave to him yitzhak which is synonymous with promise we know in the new covenant paul speaks about isaac yitzhak being the child of promise verse verse 4 And I gave to Yitzhak Yaakov, that is Jacob, and Esau, Esau. And I gave to Esau, Mount Sire for a possession, for him to possess it. But to Yaakov, to Jacob, and his sons, they went down to Egypt. Now, this is interesting, because Esau, He is a perverse man. He is immoral. He is ungodly. And we see that God hates Esau. But he gave him a possession. And we see Jacob and his sons, they went down to Egypt. Why? Because of sin. And they found themselves in bondage. That's where sin leads. So the brothers sinned against Joseph, We talked about this. Soon thereafter, what what goes around comes around. The measure that you measure with will be measured back to you. The sword that you kill kill with will kill you. That's what we see in the scripture. And therefore, God, because these are his covenant people, and they were outside his will, they went down to Egypt. But notice what it says here. God is faithful. There was a time of punishment, but there's also a time of change, of redemption. And this is what happens. Look at verse 5. God says, I sent Moses and Aaron. And what did he do? I struck with a plague. Now, it's one word. It's a verb. It's a verbal form for the Hebrew word for plague. And we would have to translate it with many words. And I struck Egypt with a plague. Just as I did in Hizmetz. Whose Well, we're talking about Egypt. And it's not going to be long before we speak about the king of Egypt. And I'm speaking about Pharaoh. And God struck, struck Egypt in the midst of his people. They saw the hand of God and how God, notice what it says, and after I brought you out. Verse 6. And I brought out your fathers from Egypt, and they came to the sea. And the Egyptians, Egypt, pursued after your fathers by by chariot and by horsemen at the Yamsuf at the Red Sea, verse 7. Now, we know this account. We know how the children of Israel Having come out, they thought everything was going to be okay. That the enemy was behind them. But the enemy, as we see here, was pursuing them. And what did they do? Well, look at verse 7. And they screamed out. That's literally what it says here. The phrase va it's aku they screamed out. It's a word for yelling. They yelled at the Lord. And it says that he sent, and notice this next word, darkness. Now here, it's a word for darkness, Mafel. Ephel is a shortened form of it, And it means a thick darkness it's not a natural darkness but it's a unique darkness a thick darkness and it says that he placed darkness between you and between the egyptians god moved miraculously god became their defender and that's what god is he defends us from the enemy and he defends us and he also makes us victorious and we keep reading in the middle of verse 7 and he he brought him meaning israel to the sea and this could also be he brought uh it's a pronoun him could be uh egypt in this sense pharaoh he brought them to the sea it's singular but we're talking about the egyptian people and he covered them and your eyes saw what i did in egypt and how you dwelt in the wilderness in that desert for many days now that we can't just gloss over first of all we all know about the victory at the sea of reeds the red sea how the israelites passed through those who were redeemed they passed through that sea but when pharaoh and the chariots and the horsemen and the whole army went after them we know that they were just like it says here covered up the water came and drowned them and what else happened well notice what the text says in verse 7 and they dwelt in the wilderness many days Now, do you see the miraculous aspect of that? Not just the victory going through that Red Sea. Of course, that's miraculous. That is seen, witnessing, as we talked about earlier, the salvation of the Lord. They just stood still. God brought it about. But here we're talking about something else that's miraculous. And according to the tradition, even more miraculous. And what am I speaking about? being able to dwell in the midbar that wilderness that desert for many days that's supernatural what is a midbar what is that desert Mo'kom rake an empty place no provision so the fact that israel and we know it just wasn't a a few people but we had six hundred thousand men also women and children and their livestock and god supernaturally provided for them for that 40 years it says here many days but we know it was 40 years verse 8 and i brought you to the land of the amorites the one who dwells on the other side of the jordan and they warred with you they went to war against you we might say and i it's all what god's doing he says and i gave them into your hands and you possess you took possession of their land and i destroyed them before you now again i hope you remember the difference see the question that we should ask ourselves is this Why is God moving in behalf of one people against that of another? It says here, their land. Well, it was their land. They were possessing it. But God said, enough. For he had made covenantal promises. And what was God doing? He was moving for one person against another people. One people against another people. Why? Because one people had a covenant, the others did not. And that's the key. If you want to have God in your life moving, if you want his revelation, you want his provision, you want his presence, then you need to be in a covenantal relationship with him. And today, there's only one covenant that you can enter into. And what covenant is that? new covenant now if you're jewish you're part of the old covenant but we know from the writer of hebrews that the new covenant is made with better promises so i want the best promise and god makes that available to all people jew and gentile alike, through and hear this through a new covenant now many times i point out That there are certain words that relate to the kingdom and we know that that the term for example uh, redemption relates to the kingdom we know the word new relates to the kingdom and that's why it's so important when we hear new covenant we need to understand it's a kingdom covenant and that is the only covenant by choice one enters into others are born into a covenant in the past from the children of Jacob. But a better covenant, the new covenant, the kingdom covenant is what's of interest to the true and eternal people of God. So look at our verse verse uh, uh, eight where it says And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hands, and you possess their land and I destroyed them before you, verse 9. Now, Joshua is rehearsing, we might say repeating, the faithfulness of God. All what God had done for the people. And God's faithfulness should cause us to trust him. It should cause us to depend upon him. In the wilderness, they had no one else to depend upon. God provided. And God is faithful to provide, faithful to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. This is what Joshua is emphasizing. And notice verse 9, there's always, always an enemy. We read about one here where it says, And Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, he got up and he too, what did he want to do? same thing as the Amorites and he made war against Israel he fought against Israel and he wanted supernatural assistance so he went to a sorcerer now this sorcerer also God had spoken to but if you look at the new covenant and I'm speaking about the book of Revelation speaking about the book of Judah, that is the book of Jude. And also, Peter wrote about this one as well. And I'm talking about Bilam, that he had truth given to him, but he never wanted to submit to that truth because he loved the wages of evil. He liked the wages of that which was against the things of God. All he cared about was prophets. He was a false prophet because he only cared about profit. And notice what it says, verse 9. And Balak, the son of Sipor, the king of Moab, he rose up and he fought against Israel. And he sent and he called to, and here it is, Bilam, the son of Beor. And what did he want? He wanted this sorcerer to curse you. Now, Joshua is speaking to the people he's speaking first person for God and he's speaking to the person people second person meaning you in this case you all in the plural and he said the enemy wanted to bring curse upon you but notice verse 10 but I did not uh, want him to hear Bilam so I, I did I didn't want that I did not allow that to happen and what happens he and here's something unusual about hebrew sometimes we have a word for holiness but it's used in a construction that means the opposite and sometimes we have a word for blessing but it means the exact opposite curse and what we have here look carefully at the text we're in the middle of verse verse 10 and what we see is this he this is Bilam, we know what he did he taught Balak how to cause Israel to stumble how to bring Israel into idolatry so that God would come against them. now we know that from the Old Testament we know that as well from the New Testament And therefore, if we translate this rightly, as I said, sometimes the word for for blessing can mean curse. And it says, basically, he utterly cursed them. That's what he wanted to do, to curse you. Joshua was speaking to Israel. He cursed you with a curse. But, look at the end of verse, verse 10, but I saved you from his hand. The his here has to do with both bilaam and balak they were in agreement that's why we know because bilaam loves the prophet of unrighteousness that he taught balak how to 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 cause israel to stumble what stumbling block to set before them that's what bilaam did verse verse 11 he's going on speaking to the children of israel and he says and you passed over the Jordan and you came to Jericho and they fought against you. That is who fought? The men of Jericho. Now I want to point out something here. And that is God has said several times, I'm leading you. And he was leading the people. And when we look at this, He led them into one war after another war after another war. But God delivered them each time. As long as they were listening to God, obeying God, committed to the instructions of God, no one could stand against them. They had victory. But as we see with Achan, if one, just one, disobeyed, it could bring about devastation for all the people look at verse 11 and you passed over the Jordan and you entered into Jericho but the men of Jericho fought against you and who else the Amorite the Parasite the Canaanite the Chittite the Girgashite The Chivite and the Yebusi, the Jezbosite. And I gave them, God once more, I, I gave them into your hand. That is, you were victorious. How God did it. Why did he do it? Because of that covenantal commitment. Now, God is always, hear this, God is always committed to His covenant the problem is you and me we sometimes are not as committed not as passionate as we ought to be in regard to the covenant of god our responsibility to do the things that we have agreed to when we entered into that covenant god is good it keeps getting better look now at verse verse 12 and i sent before you the Hornet now we would understand that in the plural Hornets God moved he used that which is natural the Hornet to do what to drive them out from before you this word to cast out to cast them out before you and we see something here we see the the uh uh, two Kings of the Amorites they're always mentioned in the scripture. They were powerful. They were large. They had massive armies. But God, no problem for him. It says here, and the two kings of the Amorites, not with your sword and not with your bull. So God defeated this, this powerful two kings of the Amorites. He defeated them. And he says, you didn't do it with the bow, or with your sword. God brought it about supernaturally. That's what God does. He moves miraculously for his new covenant people. And not only does he defeat the enemy, he's a blessed God. Look at verse 13. And I gave to you the land, which, hear this, I gave to you land which you did not labor in it, And cities which you did not build. And you dwelt in them. And notice it says in these places. There were vineyards. There was olive trees. And these vineyards and olive trees. You did not not plant. Now some would say vineyards and orchards. You did not plant. And what else? He says but. You ate. You were eating. And it's very important. It's atem ochlim. You are eating, meaning this. Right now in the days of Joshua, you're eating from things you didn't plant. You're living in cities that you didn't build. You're dwelling in houses that you did not put up. All of this came to you by God. It's an outcome of being his covenant people this is what he's promising verse verse 14 now what should be the response this is where we get down to the real heart of of what joshua is going to conclude with in our study tonight and what he's going to also emphasize next week and that is and hear this we're called to be a responsible people what does that mean we're called to be committed to the instructions the commandments of God let me say it another way we are called to desire to fulfill God's expectations for us and it's only when we're committed to his expectations for our life see here's the problem more often than not what individuals want is that they want a God that will fulfill their expectations That is not faith. That is not what this book teaches. It is popular. It will fill stadiums. It will get you on the New York Times bestseller list, but it is not pleasing to God. What's pleasing to God? Being commitment to His expectations for you and for your household and for His people. Verse 14. This is what God says. And now, and remember this word, ve'ata, it's a word for it now with urgency. Not just at this moment, I'm going to say this, but now with urgency. What does he say? Fear the Lord. What does that mean? Give him all your priority. He becomes first. Everything that you do, everything that you are about, is brought under his authority that is what it means to fear the lord so again and now fear the lord and we talked about this word earlier we'll mention it again in a moment but it's that word to serve or worship him and do so be tamim me, most bibles and, and i did not have the opportunity to go through the the english translations with uh, my wife as i so frequently do But this word (laughs) has to do with purity. It has to do, and it's in the plural, so, so serve him in abundant purity. But this word can also have another meaning. Elsewhere in the scripture, it's translated blameless. So many of the men of God that were pleasing to him, they were called blameless. And furthermore, this word can have another meaning. And that is the word for a fool but you have to understand it correctly because how can blameless how can purity how can all of that relates to being foolish well here's a connection there's always a connection with the hebrew verbal stem that root word the word tom can be the end of something meaning the objective The word Tom can also mean a foolish one. and Here's what it speaks about. One who knows his shortcomings, his uh, inabilities, his limits. There was that uh, actor that said, a man's got to know his limitations. Now, that's good to know your limitations. Why? Because that shows you where you need to depend upon God. So this word for oftentimes translated a fool simply means this. One who understands he can't handle his life. He's not able to manage his existence. He needs help. So if someone is unable to manage himself, the world looks at that and sees a foolish person. Someone that always needs help. Someone that's dependent upon someone else. Well, that's who we are. Now, the world may think that we're foolish, but in actuality, when we trust and depend upon God for all things and always, we're not foolish. We are demonstrating wisdom. So this scripture says, look at it again. It says, verse, verse 14, serve him with, with dependence, we might say, and in truth when you make yourself utterly and solely dependent upon him you are going to reach out for his truth you're going to trust him and he says and remove gods this would be false gods these idols and remove the gods which your forefathers served where on the other side of the river that's on the other side of the euphrates and also in Egypt. Now this tells us something. It tells us that both in the the history of that family, the family Avram came from, there was idolatry. And also we see that there was idolatry among the people in Egypt. And what did God do? God wanted to bring them out from all of this. So he says, serve the Lord we might say independence and in truth depending upon him and 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 entrusting in his truth and remove the idols which your forefathers worship on the other side of the the river and also in egypt verse 15 our last verse he says and if this be evil in your eyes to serve the lord choose for yourself today whom you are going to serve if if it's going to be the gods which your forefathers worshiped and served on the other side of the river that is other side of the the euphrates or if or if it's going to be not just those gods, but the gods in Canaan, the gods of the, the Amorites. Notice what it says: the gods of the Amorites, whom you dwell in their land. Is that that who you're going to to do uh, homage to and worship the gods of these uh, defeated people? But he says at the end, "Ve anochi." Sometimes that word "ve" and has a meaning in this context but he says but i now i know some will say as for me doesn't say that it says but i and my house we will serve the lord and my question is this can you honestly sincerely say with enthusiasm this is me i want to serve the lord and I am going to influence my wife, my children, my my family, extended family. If you're a woman, my husband, and my children, we have a responsibility to, to act publicly in light of our faith in the one true God, the God of Israel, who sent his only begotten son, Messiah Yeshua, into this world to save you, to cause you to be that peculiar people to make you into that royal priesthood to cause you to be part of a holy people a kingdom people a holy nation a nation that's different that demonstrates the light and that's the illumination of kingdom truth we're called to be the salt of the earth that salt has a purifying aspect to it to pull out the impurities in order that That becomes something which is acceptable, something that is pleasing, well-pleasing to God. So it all comes down. Are you going to agree with Yahshua? But I and my house, we will serve the Lord. That type of sincere commitment is the best thing that you can do, the wisest decision. Choose wisely. Choose humbly. Choose based upon the instructions of God and the demonstration of God's faithfulness throughout the generations. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, and we conclude our study of this book, Joshua. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others.